Thanks for joining us at Faith. We hope the message you're about to hear encourages your day and draws you closer to Jesus. If you'd like to join us for service or find out more about the church, visit faith.church. That's faith.church. And we want to welcome everybody who's joining us online and those joining us at Jeff Jail. We want you to know we love you. You're a part of our lives. We love you so much. You know, our heart truly is that everybody would encounter the presence of God. Regardless of how you engage with who we are as a church, we believe that the God of the universe is not subject to geographical location, that he can pierce any, he can use technology, he can use whatever it is, because as you open your heart to him, he ministers and he speaks to you and transforms you. And I'm so grateful to be a part of a church that really appreciates the presence and the word of God. Aren't you so glad that you're a part of that type of church? Come on. Let's do it. Are you glad? Amen. Well, guys, listen, we are continuing our series today on Romans chapter 8, and it's my great honor and privilege to, uh, to introduce to you our speaker today. He is a dear friend of mine. Um, he pastors a church in San Antonio, Texas called Destiny Church, and he has been a, a dear part of my life for, for 20 years, and we've grown, and we've been able to do ministry together. We went to Bible college together. His family has been a part of my family. His father, who has gone on to be with the Lord, was a spiritual father of mine and, and really spoke deeply into my life and, and uh, gave me opportunities to do things in, uh, at Destiny Church. Um, down in San Antonio, Texas, and really called what God put in me. He called it out of me, and I'm so grateful for that. And so um, Pastor Matt, who's speaking today, has been pastoring his church in um, San Antonio, Texas, for how many years, Pastor Matt? Six years now. But it's a church that's 79 years old, and he's the fourth-generation pastor there from his family. His grandmother was my teacher in Bible college. Matt and I were in Bible college together. I was actually a member. My wife and I were a member at Destiny Church before Matt was the pastor there. And, uh, and so he's been a great part. And we, we've been ministering together. We actually are going to be ministering at a conference together in September and so I'm just really grateful and honored to have him here today. But also, Pastor Matt and his family are, have been a real close part of Pastor Nathan's family through all the years. Nathan's dad and Matt's dad were, they, they were pastors and they were close to one another and they did conferences together. And so their families grew up together. And so, listen, Pastor Matt and his wife Heather are such a dear part of my life. They have been for many years. And I'm just honored to share them with you today. And so just open your heart today and God's going to use Pastor Matt as he comes and preaches the word. Let's give him a Faith Bible Chapel welcome today. Welcome, Pastor Matt. Well, it's good to be in church today. Amen. Of all the places that we could be right now, I can't think of a better place to be than God's house. Amen. You know, it's so good to be here at Faith Bible Chapel. I, I love this church, uh, if only because I love your pastor. And I love the leadership here. And I have known Pastor Jason for 20 years. And we did go to Bible school together. And it's just amazing to me to see what God has done in his life over the last 20 years. Jason is the real deal. Jason is the real deal. And his wife, Cheryl. And it's just been an honor to know them for two decades. So in the first service, I totally lost my voice. I'm not used to being this high, <laughs> altitude-wise. I, I have to clarify that in 
Colorado, what I mean by that. Uh, I am from Texas. I am from the South. We're not this high down there. Elevation, you know, we're, we're a little bit lower in elevation. And so I lost my voice. And the, so they said, be drinking lots of water. And so I, I brought a big bottle of water uh, for the second service because God has a word that he wants to speak to you today. Do you believe that? Do, do you love the word of God? Amen. And so you are in a series right now in Romans chapter 8. And I think, honestly, that Romans chapter 8 is the greatest chapter in the Bible. Do you believe that? Is it your favorite chapter in the Bible? It is mine. And so you are in the middle of a series going week by week. I don't know how many weeks you're going to do. Eight weeks? Nine weeks in Romans chapter 8. And it's just full of just mountaintop, mountain peak, big theology, big doctrines, big truths about God that help us to live the kind of life that God wants you, called you, chose you to live. And so uh, somewhere they came up with this really catchy title for the series. It's called Living the No Condemnation, Spirit-Filled, Power-Infused. Let's, well, let's start over. We're going to start this over. We're going to say this together. Living the no condemnation, spirit-filled, power-infused, more than a conqueror. If God is for me, who can be against me? Supernatural, nothing can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord kind of life. Now how many, amen, let's give the Lord a hand clap for that. How many of you want to live that kind of life? Do you believe that that is possible? Do you believe that? Do you believe that's possible in 2020? Like the worst year ever? Yeah, I think it's kind of hilarious that at the beginning of 2020, all the churches were like, it's a year of vision. We're going to have 2020 vision. 2020 is going to be the best year of your life. Well, turns out maybe not. But even in 2020, this is the kind of life God's people are called to live. Amen. And so God has given us Romans chapter 8 to help us, to push us into living that kind of life. And I've got a truth to share with you from God's Word and what I believe is the greatest verse in Romans chapter 8. And so it's the greatest verse in the greatest chapter in the Bible, which is the greatest book in the history of the world. And so we're going to have a great time together. Let's pray, and we're going to jump right into the Word of God. Father, we thank you for your Word. Lord, we thank you that you are a God who speaks to us. Lord, that we don't have to wander around in darkness because you have spoken. Lord, you've spoken the world into existence. We exist by your divine decree. Lord, before we were ever born, you saw us. You knew our lives. Lord, you called us into your family. Lord, through our time in your word, I pray that you would press your truth down deep into our hearts. Lord, help us to live as your people. Lord, you've called us out of the world, the world that is broken, the world that is defeated, the world that is in darkness. You have called us out to be a part of your family, 
to be a part of the children of light, to be a part of your kingdom, to be a part of your church. Help us in this time and in this season to live faithfully for you, that you would receive glory from our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Romans 8, and we're going to start in verse 26 this morning. Paul writes, he says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because the Spirit intercedes for the saints. That's you and I. We are the saints. If you are in Christ today, you are a saint. Amen? No no longer a sinner. Now a saint. A saint is not someone who died and somehow performed a miracle. That's not what a saint is. A, A saint is a child of God. You've been declared righteous today, right? Uh, So the Spirit, who is he interceding for? For us. The Holy Spirit is praying for you in your moment of weakness. And he, he does it according to the will of God. So it says, we don't know how to pray in our, our weakness, our, our, our infirmity, our, our, our frailty. But the Spirit is there to help us. How many of you don't like to ask for help? Right? We don't like it. I don't like to ask for help. It's like I'm somehow admitting that I'm, you know, human when I ask for help. Or that I'm, don't, I'm not perfect and that I don't have it all together. And, and we want people to think that we've got it all together, don't we? Let's be honest. We, we want people to think better of us than we really are, honestly. That's why we didn't just show up this morning the way we rolled out of bed, right? Right? Your, your, your morning breath didn't make it to Faith Bible Chapel this morning because you, you want people to think about you better than you really are. So you use a little bit of Colgate, you put a little hairspray on there, you get a little bit of speed stick, right? We don't like to admit that we need help. I have four little kids, the oldest is eight, the youngest is three. Um, Everywhere we go, it's a circus, it's chaos, it's pandemonium. Even here at church this morning, it's a little bit of chaos. But right now, my three-year-old, she doesn't want help with anything. So right now, we're trying to buckle her and put her in the car seat, and she says, no, I want to do it. The only problem is she can't do it. But if you try and help her, you know what she's going to do? She's going to scream, she's going to yell. And you would say, well, just spank her or stick a bar of soap in her mouth. And, you know, I just my hat's off to you parents who could do that. <laughs> like, you guys were awesome. I just, I'm, I'm not there yet. And so I, I patiently wait there until, guess what she says? I need help. Well, of course she does. She doesn't know what she's doing. And guess what? Uh, we don't either. We, we don't know what's going on in our world. The Spirit helps us in our time of weakness because we don't know how to pray the way that we should. And the weakness that we have 
we've been looking at it in the context of Romans 8. Looked at it last week, especially with Pastor Jason in verses 17 and 18. Apostle Paul writing. He says that we are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. How many of you hear that and you're like, yes, I'm an heir of Christ. I'm an heir with Christ. I have an inheritance. How many of you love that? I love that. But just wait. Fellow heirs with Christ, provided we, oh, I oh, this word. I have a hard time even spitting it out. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Suffering with Christ. Who has suffered more than Christ? The answer is nobody. And you and I, in this life, in this world, this is what we are, are called to. We, we suffer in this life. Paul goes on to say that I consider the sufferings of the present time are not worthy comparing with the glory to be revealed in us. And so this is our weakness. In this life we suffer. We're going to glory. We're headed there, eternity, with God and Christ forever, where everything that has gone wrong will be made right, where there'll be no more sickness, no more disease, no more heartache, no more divorce, no more cancer, no more coronavirus, no more death, that we will live in glory forever with our Creator, full of life, full of love, full of joy. Think about the most happiest moments of your life, the greatest moments of your life, the moments that were filled with the most love, the most joy, the most peace. That's just the, the tiniest little foretaste of what eternity will be like forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and never end. That's where we're headed. That's where we're going. That is our hope. But now, Jesus said, in the world you will have Lots of money, a six-pack of abs. No, what did Jesus say? In the world you will have tribulation. That's a promise from Jesus. You can take that to the bank. And if 2020 proves anything to us, it's that Jesus was right. In the world, we're having some tribulation in the world. But Jesus says, take heart, because I have overcome the world. What, what this, what this, some people hear this and they say, oh, praise God, I won't have tribulation. No. <laughs> Jesus just said, in the world you will have tribulation, but we don't lose heart because Jesus is victorious over the world in which we have Tribulation, what does that mean? That means that the trouble, the trial, the test, the pain, the suffering, the anguish, the heartache, whatever it is, it will not destroy you because Jesus is victorious over it. Amen. Amen. And so we suffer in this world. We all suffer. And 2020 is a year of, of it is strange. It is a strange year. I, on a road trip with my family, when Pastor Jason invited me to come and speak, I had this brilliant idea. Let's pack up the minivan with our four kids and Heather, my wife, and 
let's drive up to visit family in Montana, which is like even further north than here, apparently. And then let's drive down and spend three days in Yellowstone National Park. And then let's come down and, and have church here with Faith Bible Chapel in, in Denver. And so this is what we decided to do. I don't know why I'm talking about this. Where was, where was I going with this? There was a point to this stupid story. Um, <laughs> suffering, well, I suffered in the car, there's no doubt about that. Um, you, the smell, let me just tell you, the smell. We discovered a new odor. Uh, it should be, I think it has, it's alien in origin. It, it could be its own el- new element on the periodic table. Like this was unbelievable. Why am I talking about this? Yes, that's right. Thank you. You were in the first, Jason remembered from the first service. So as we traveled, as we traveled through New Mexico and all the other states, I don't know, we live in Texas, which is like its own country. Like it takes us 10 hours before we're even out of Texas because we're in San Antonio. And anyway, we go through all the stops, you know, we're, we're stopping here, we're stopping there, we're filling up for gas. Everywhere we go, this pandemic has affected everybody. And it's one thing to see it in your own community and to wrestle through it with the people in, in your own community, but to, 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 to experience place after place, city after city, state after state, where everyone's been affected. We're suffering in some way. We're grieving in some way. All of us at some point, this is affecting us in, in a difficult way. This is our, our weakness. Another area of weakness that we have that we've seen in Romans chapter 8 is the battle that is raging between our flesh and the Holy Spirit of God that's alive inside of us. How many of you understand what I'm talking about? That sometimes I want to do things that God doesn't want me to do. You, You ever have that happen to you? Did you have that happen to you on your drive over this morning? Where you want to do something, then the Holy Spirit's like, hey, tap the brakes on that. And what this is, is that our will and God's will, they're not always aligned. What God wants and I want in my flesh, they're usually the polar opposite, if I'm being honest with you. Isaiah puts it this way, his ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. As far as as the heavens are higher than the earth, so far are his thoughts and his ways higher than our thoughts and our ways. So what do we do? What do we do in this world where things are chaotic, where we don't even know what's going on? And if you think you know what's going on, you really don't know what's going on. Nobody knows what's going on, but God knows what's going on. The Spirit who knows all things helps us in our weakness, helps us in our suffering, helps us as we try to align our will with God's will. And this is a process, this, this process of aligning God's will, especially in times of hardship, and especially in times of suffering. This is an important process in the life of every believer, including even the apostles themselves. So I want to read to you a passage from 2 Corinthians. It's not on the screen this morning, so if you have your Bible, you can use that. It still works in 2020. <laughs> The battery never runs out on this thing. It's, it's amazing. 
Amen. The first service didn't think that was great either, but anyway. <laughs> Second Corinthians chapter 11, Paul talks a little bit about his suffering. He was also someone who suffered for the Lord. He writes, he says, five times I received at the hand of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. That means they tried to kill him by throwing rocks at him. I have to define that for you guys here in Colorado. You have your own definition of stoned. (laughs) Sorry, uh, sorry. That's my last Colorado joke, I promise. Three times I was shipwrecked. We know on on one of Paul's shipwrecks that he was adrift at sea and he finally swam to shore. And then once he got to shore, he built a fire, you know, to dry himself off and to warm himself because he was freezing to death. And as he's building a fire, what is it that happens? A snake jumps out and bites him. Now, if ever I would say, really, God, I think that would have been it. God, I'm out here doing your work. I'm out here preaching the gospel. I've been shipwrecked three times. Can't I just build a fire? Can't you just give me a little snake repellent or something? Paul doesn't complain. He keeps pressing on. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Wow. We think we're suffering when we can't find toilet paper, (laughs) even though we have like a whole pantry full at home. This is what suffering looks like. And all of us at some point, in some way, we will suffer. We will endure hardship. We will face real pain in life. Pain that is, is so deep, so disruptive that it It affects us to the core of who we are, and it affects even our relationship with God, and so we don't even know how to pray anymore. There have been many times in my life where I've I've just said, God, I don't know how to pray. I don't know what to say. I've said all the words. I've prayed all the prayers. I've cried all the tears. I've got nothing. I don't even know anymore. You may be here and and feel like you're in a, a season like that. You may be watching online right now and feel like that's where you are. But the Spirit helps us in our weakness. As Paul continues talking about this this weakness, this suffering, he goes on into verse 12 and he talks about how God has blessed him with a ministry of, of divine inspiration, divine revelation. But that Paul was on the verge of becoming conceited. He was on the verge of becoming proud in himself and in his flesh. And so God, because God loved Paul, he gave Paul a thorn in the flesh. What? That doesn't sound right. That's what the Bible says. Because God loved Paul, 
he gave Paul a thorn in the flesh. He writes about it in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7. He says, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Now we don't know what Paul's thorn in the flesh was. It could have been a physical ailment. It could have been a sickness. It could have been something that hindered him in his everyday life. It could have been chronic pain, chronic illness. It could have been anxiety. It could have been a mental uh, depression. We, We don't know what his thorn in the flesh was. I really believe it's the providence of God that we don't know. Because as any of us goes through hardship, pain, and suffering, and we may even feel in our own life we have a thorn in the flesh, the same word that God gave to Paul is the same word that will bring life to us. So three times he pleads with the Lord. He he begs God, please remove this thorn in the flesh from me. This wasn't just a, oh, God, if you would, please help and get this out of my life. No, this was a desperate cry from the depths of his soul. And you know what God told him? No. No. You see, Paul's will and God's will at this point, they were not aligned. Paul was not praying according to the will of God because he was praying that God would remove the pain and the suffering from him. God says, no, but God doesn't stop at no. You see, God gives Paul an answer that's better than yes. I will remove it. What God tells Paul, he says, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. He says, I'm not going to remove this thing from you. Instead, I'm going to give my power and place it upon you. I'm going to give you the grace to make it through. I'm not going to take it from you because you need this, Paul. You actually need this. It's it's actually good for you, even though it hurts, even though it's painful, even though you, if you could have it your way, you would pray and ask for it to be removed. It's actually good for you. Because in this suffering, my power is made manifest. In this suffering, you show to the whole world that you serve the risen King of kings and the Lord of lords when you put my power and my glory on display. And when Paul has this revelation that this in his life is not something to be rebuked, is not something to fight against, but is something to be received as a blessing from the Lord, it transforms Paul's life 100%. And so Paul then continues and he writes this. He says, therefore, therefore, because of this grace and this power in my weakness, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am 
strong. Paul had this moment where his will and God's will were not aligned. But through the power of the Spirit, the intercession of the Spirit, the Spirit that helps us in our weakness, Paul has this revelation where he says, this is not something to be rejected. This is not something to be rebuked. This is something to receive from the Lord as a gift. And so often in our lives, we rebuke the things that we don't like. We say, in the name of Jesus, get thee behind me, Satan. And could it be that God is wanting to put his power and his glory on display in your life? Could it be that the suffering, the pain, the heartache, the, the, the betrayal, the, the backstabbing, the, the whatever it is, could it be that God is wanting to not take it from you, but to place his spirit upon you in an even greater way? And that through this whole process that you would know God like you've never known him before? That others would be brought into the kingdom of God as they see God's power and God's glory put on display in your life? This is the Spirit's work in our life. He helps us in our weakness. Because in our flesh, we would say, God, take this from me. But through the power of the Spirit, we can say, thank you, God, for the test, for the trial, because of what you're doing in my life. That only comes through a work of the Spirit. That doesn't come through trying harder it doesn't come through, to come through gritting your teeth, but it's the Spirit helping us in our weakness. And later, as the Apostle Paul is now writing Romans, Romans chapter 8, many, many years later, with this revelation of the Spirit's work and the power of the Spirit and the grace of God and God's power on display and his weakness and his, his full understanding of the thorn in his flesh. He writes Romans with all of that for us. And he moves us from what we don't know. We don't know how to pray. We don't know what's going on in, in, in verse 26. We, we don't know, but he moves us from what we don't know. And there is a lot that we don't know. But he moves us from that place of what we don't know and in verse 28, he moves us to what we do know. And he says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. This, I believe, this for me especially, this is my favorite verse in the whole Bible that God, the sovereign God of the universe, the all-powerful creator God, who knows the end from the beginning, that he is personally working all things together for my good. That he is personally overseeing the events of my life. That though I may try to organize things and though I may try to make things happen, that ultimately it is God who will work all things together for my good. Do you know this? 
Do you know this? Paul says, this we know. You see, I think many believers today, I think we don't know this. This is why we freak out when the littlest thing goes wrong. Because we don't know and we don't understand that actually God is working all things together for our good. Not just the good, not just the blessings, not just the things we like. Every last detail of our lives, the promise of God for you is that he is working all things together for your good. You might be sitting here thinking, well, what does all mean? Well, as you know, the Bible was written in Greek, and so I looked it up in the Greek language. I did my homework for you this week. It's the Greek word pas, P-A-S. And it means all. (laughs) It means all. It means every single last event, every, every second of every day, God is working for your good. The good, the bad, the ugly. In living life in the fallen world, living life in a creation that is groaning, there's a lot of good, but there's also a lot of bad and a lot of ugly. But the promise for the believer For those who love God and have been called according to his purpose, the promise to you today is that even the bad and the ugly will work for your good. Do you love God? Amen. Do you love God? Have you been called according to his purpose? Then there is nothing the enemy can do to you. No plan of the enemy will work against you. You are victorious in Jesus Christ. He has won the victory. This is what the cross of Christ teaches us, that even though Satan thought he had won, there's a resurrection on the other side. And that God will take the broken and the dead places of our lives and resurrect them for our good and for his glory. Things that, that are so disgusting, things that are so evil, things that we could say, how could God possibly work this for good? The answer is, I don't know how he will, but the promise of God is that he will. He will work it for your good. In Genesis, we see the story of a young man named Joseph. How many of you remember that story? Joseph, who endured, he really had a horrible life. Nobody would write a book about how to have a life like Joseph. You don't see, live the Joseph life uh, in the bookstores. The title would be Your Worst Life Now if uh, that book were to be written. Joseph, who who was the baby of the family until his baby brother Benjamin, he was the, the very next to the last, and he had... Uh, 10 older brothers. Wow. How many of you had, were the baby? Did you have some older brothers? Did you have 10 older brothers? Joseph's family story is so jacked up. Joseph's dad had two wives. That's already really jacked up. And then he had two girlfriends who weren't his wives, but he would just make babies with them for fun. 
That was Jacob, okay? This is Joseph's family. Now, jo Joseph, uh, Jacob had one wife that he loved. And this one wife that he loved had two sons, Joseph and Benjamin. And so because Jacob really loved Joseph's mom, it means that Jacob really loved Joseph. And so Joseph was spoiled. His dad made him this, like, coat of many colors, which sounds a little bit flamboyant to us, but it was like a royal robe, right? It was like a, a tuxedo. It was just this immaculate gift that God had given to Joseph. Well, guess what Joseph did with that? Did he only wear it on special occasions? Nah. He wore it to breakfast. He wore it to lunch. He wore it to dinner. He wore it on errands. He wore that thing everywhere he went as if to say, hey, guys, look at who daddy's favorite is. Well, do you think his brothers liked that? No. So they despised him. They made fun of him. They mocked him. They mocked him for his dreams. One day they, they hatch a plot. They say, hey, I got an idea. Let's kill this kid. Wow. They throw him in a pit to kill him. They're going to leave him there for dead. And then one of his more enterprising brothers says, hey, why just kill this guy when we could sell him into slavery and make some money? He was the entrepreneur of the family. So a band of gypsies comes by and they, he, they sell Joseph and the, the amount of money that they sold him for was pennies. Like they could barely buy a Big Mac meal uh, at McDonald's for the amount of money they sold him for. They, they just despised him. So Joseph is taken as a slave to Egypt. Do things get better for him there? No. Joseph, as a slave, is accused of sexual assault because he did the right thing. He gets thrown into prison where he is forgotten for years and years and years. This is Joseph's life. Years later, some 30 years later, the process that Joseph was on in his life God uses Joseph to bring salvation not only to his family, but to an entire nation. God redeems Joseph's story and uses him and sets him up as the, the second in command in the nation of Egypt and brings salvation to his brothers that hated his guts when he was a kid. He used Joseph to save God's people. And years later, his brothers come to him and, and they're afraid that Joseph is going to seek some retaliation and so they're asking for forgiveness again to Joseph and Joseph says this in Genesis chapter 50 verse 20. Joseph says, you meant it for evil but God meant it for my good. Listen, there are things in your life that people have done to you that they meant it for evil in your life but we don't even get out of the first book of the Bible before we see the goodness and the sovereignty of God even over the evil that people have done to you. That what people have meant for evil, God is going to work for your good. The goodness of God on display. You see, Joseph, of course, he didn't see it at the time. Did he understand it living in the pit? No. 
Did he understand it being thrown into jail? No. Did he understand it being sold into slavery? No. It wasn't until years after years after years had passed that he looks back and he says, I see it now. I see what God was doing back then. I didn't understand it then, but I see it now. God, you were working for my good all along. You never left me. You never forsook me. You were right there with me. Your grace, your power made perfect in my weakness. And if you're here today and you're listening to me today, you can hear the sound of my voice. It means you're still alive. It means your story is not over yet. That there is another season coming. There's another chapter coming. What the enemy meant for evil, God is going to turn and work it for your good. All things are going to work together for your good. Amen. Living inside of this truth is like living inside of Mount Everest. Nothing can shake you. Nothing. When you wake up in the morning and say, I don't know what's coming my way today, but I know God's going to work it for my good. Nothing can shake you. When you lay your head on the pillow at night, whether it was the best day of your life or the worst day of your life, and you say, I don't know how God's going to do it, but I know he is going to work it for my good. Listen, this is an unshakable truth that God's people must learn to live in in these uncertain times. The culture is being thrown this way, is being thrashed that way. You are called to live feet firmly planted on the truth of God's word, not blown this way, not blown that way, not have your destiny tied to the stock market or your future tied to the future of this country. Listen, our future is tied to the kingdom of God. Amen. Whatever happens to America, I, I don't know. At one point, all the nations of the world are going to be over. And God's kingdom is going to be established without end. Our destiny is not tied to the world. Our destiny is tied to Christ. And he is victorious and he has defeated the world. We live in this middle place of we're not quite there yet. So Paul writes, he, he continues to write, and in, in closing today, I just want to share with you the last uh, two verses, 29 and 30. And here Paul answers for us how we can know that God will work all things for our good. How can I know that? How can I be certain of that? He says, those whom he foreknew, speaking of us, those who love God and are called according to his purpose, those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he foreknew, or those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What we have here, this is an unbroken chain of events. This is an unalterable uh, chain. It, it cannot be chained, it, changed. It cannot be broken. This plan of God for you as his child cannot be 
broken. It will not fail. And you see, your faith, it didn't start with you. You're you're being a child of God. That didn't start with you. Where did it start? It says it started when God foreknew us. When was that? That was in eternity past, before God even created the world. Before you were ever born, before your parents were ever born, before your great-grandparents, great-grandparents were ever born, God looked through the corridor of time and history, and he set his love, his grace, his mercy, his affection on you, and he called you his child. He foreknew you. And because he foreknew you, He has predestined you to be conformed to the image of his son. That means that Christ's nature and character would be birthed in your life. And that those whom he predestined, then he called this effectual call of God unto salvation. Those whom he called, he's justified, declared righteous, just as if I never sin, the blood of Jesus, the victory of the resurrection. Today, if you are in Christ, you have been justified. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. But it doesn't stop with that. It moves from being justified to being glorified. It's from eternity to eternity, the plan of God in your life. If you are one of his children, it cannot be broken. It will not be broken. And this is the good that God is working in all of our lives. This is the good. It it will be received in glory. We might not see how it all works out in the here and now. But in glory we will see. In glory we will see him face to face. In glory it says he will wipe every tear from our eyes. In, In his kingdom there will be no more death, no more sickness, no more sorrow, no more disease in that place forever with him for all eternity, everything will have worked for your good. Unbroken chain, foreknown, predestined. And I know a lot of people freak out about predestination and I'll let Pastor Jason figure all that out because he's way smarter than I am. How does God's sovereign will interact with my free will? And the answer is, I don't know. But it's not a problem for God. It might be a problem for us how it all works out, but it's not a problem for God. We'll let him figure it out. But he's called us. He's called me into his family. I'm a Christian today, not because I was born a Christian. I'm a Christian today because God called me into his family and saved me by his grace. I'm justified, declared righteous. And because of all of those things, my final resting place is not some plot of dirt in San Antonio, Texas. I will be forever with the King of glory and all of the saints from all of history. And together we will worship around the throne and we will sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. And when we get to that place, you know what? We won't have any complaints. We won't say, yeah, but God, 2020, come on. No. We will see it all, the end from the beginning, just as he sees it. God's working even 2020 for your good. 
So would you stand with me? I'd like to pray over you. God has given his people his spirit. He commands us to be filled with his spirit. It's not an option. It's not an option. Ephesians chapter 5, go and read it. Be filled with the spirit. The spirit is given to us. The infilling of the spirit is given to us to help us in our weakness. Maybe you're here today and and you feel strong. You feel like you're doing great. You're on top of the mountain. Awesome. Maybe you're here and you feel a little bit weak. The Holy Spirit is also here to fill you, to help you, to put God's power in your life and on display. We choose what we're filled with. Did you know that? You can fill yourself by, with any number of things by what you allow into your life, by what you watch, by what you listen to, by what you consume. Too many Christians today are filled with the news, the bad news, when God has called us to be filled with the good news. We, we got to get our mind off of what's happening in this world and put it back on what happened on the cross and put it back on eternity. And when we will do that, God's spirit floods into our lives and his power is made perfect in our weakness. So Father, we thank you for the gift of your spirit. Lord, help us in our weakness. Lord, we don't know what we ought to do. We don't always know the things that we should say and pray for, but Lord, draw us back into an ever-present, living, vibrant relationship through the power of your spirit. Help us to put away the distractions. Help us to focus on you, your word, your kingdom, your power, your son, your spirit. That we would live for your name, your fame, your glory. And empower us to make a difference in this world and in our generation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.